In this episode of the Flory Stroke podcast, I'm here today with Dr. Carly Rolston, a PhD neuroscientist at the Flory Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health. Carly specializes in research to promote recovery after stroke with a focus towards improving the use of animal models to inform treatment effects on brain remodeling. She is also head of the Preclinical Stroke Research Laboratory at the Flory. In today's episode, we talk about how stimulating the brain with electrodes implanted in the scalp may provide a promising future treatment for stroke patients. I'm Tessa Marshall, and this is Scientists of Stroke by Flory Stroke. Welcome to Scientists of Stroke, where we discover how researchers at the Flory Institute are working to prevent stroke and reduce the impact of strokes. You can follow us on Twitter at Flory Stroke and find us on Facebook at Flory Stroke. Now, Carly, you're currently working on an implant that goes into the skull and helps with stroke recovery. Could you tell us a bit about that? I've recently partnered with the Bionics Institute to test an electrical stimulator device for stroke. But the key to this device, above others that have been used and tested worldwide, is that this device records brain activity. So we use these tiny little electrodes that are implanted into, in, into the skull, not into the brain, but into the skull. So this is different to deep brain stimulation. We call this subscalp stimulation. Uh, so these electrodes are capable of recording brain activity through to the subcortex. And what happens with stroke is that after stroke, the brain activity changes. So we often get a decrease in the amplitude of the EEG that's measured in the ipsilateral, so the stroke-affected side. But in contrast, in the contralateral side, so that's the other hemisphere that's non-stroke-affected, we get an increase in EEG activity. So we can map the brain's response in terms of how it processes the activity after stroke. And then we can use that mapping to target electrical stimulation. So using biphasic pulses, like really tiny little bits of electrical stimulation that would never be detected by the patient. Um, so what we do is we target our stimulation to the areas of the brain when we see reduced brain activity. Now using a different frequency, it is also possible to target stimulation to the contralateral brain to reduce the hyperactivity that's going on there. And what we're aiming for is a rebalance of um, activity, so where we, we restore it back to its normal balance. So just to clarify, this is all in animal models? This is all in animal models. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, the device has actually been built for use in humans uh, for the management of epilepsy, uh, epileptic seizures. That's so cool. That almost sounds like science fiction. Is it very effective? So we've been able to completely reverse the functional locks back to normal whilst uh, our animal models are being stimulated. Wow, how does that work? What's actually happening in the brain to improve the rat's functioning after a stroke? 
When we take the post-mortem tissue from that and have a look at what's going on, one of the major effects we find is that stimulation retains astrocytes in a trophic way that they, re they maintain their coupling to the synapse as well as to the blood vessels, which reduces their overactivation and reduces glial scar formation. The other thing we find is that animals that are stimulated versus controls have a much larger angiogenic response. So they actually generate a lot more blood vessels. And how do your findings in these animal models relate to humans with stroke? This is a real key, um, a key indicator for treatment translation because one of the things that exercise has been shown to do is improve blood flow to the brain. And with improved blood flow, you get better coupling between neurons and blood vessels. And that has actually been shown to be one of the mechanisms they think is responsible for brain remodeling due to exercise. So what we propose is that we have now a system that can artificially activate that response in the brain without exercise. So again, looking towards helping people get past that um, hurdle of fatigue, demoralisation and depression. So at the moment we're talking about using brain stimulation for stroke, but you mentioned before that it was originally used for epilepsy patients. How was it used there? So originally Professor Mark Cook together with Professor Chris Williams came together and Chris designed and invented a small device that could be implanted into patients who have epilepsy so as to monitor when a person is more likely to have an epileptic seizure and feedback through like a warning device so that people could actually have some sort of warning as to when they would have a seizure. The other aspect of monitoring seizure activity in epilepsy is designing better treatments. So for example, we might be able to work out within one person that treatment is better um, given early in the day versus perhaps something you take at night or vice versa, so treatment commences at night rather than early in the morning. So how did this device go from being tested in epilepsy to being researched in stroke? So I went to Chris back in 2011 and I said to him, I really, I want to stimulate the brain, can we repurpose this device? And so what he did was he then created me a teeny weeny little protocol model. <laughs> so basic concepts. So all the software was still there. And interesting enough, when you think about devices, you just think about what you can see that's implanted. But there's a huge degree of software design that has to go into managing those devices and, and sorting through the data that comes out and creating, obviously, meaningful um, information. So all the software was in place. Uh, and all we needed to do was to just miniaturise the device and then I've used that, that device in rats um, and tried to mimic the scenario, obviously mimic the scenario as what would occur in a human when they have a stroke, we work out that they could be eligible for the device intervention, the device gets implanted and then used to recover. So who is eligible for this? Not everyone will be eligible for this device. So my collaborators at the Bionics Institute have also worked heavily in using uh, brain monitoring as a biomarker for treatment success. So um, what we do know is that patients who respond have a, like for example, a small motor twitch to stimulation. Um, 
that is a sign of some level of integrity through the cortical motor spinal tract. Now, if there's no response to that small stimulation, then the patient is unlikely to ever respond to treatment. And unfortunately, we do have scenarios where there's so much damage through the subcortex that it's impossible to recover that area of the brain. But we also have scenarios where often patients will only have a partial degree of damage through the subcortex and response to evoked motor um, twitches are an indication that there is still some activity there and we might recover it if we continue to stimulate. And that's the premise of electrical stimulation for stroke. Great. Um, so what proportion of patients would be eligible? So we're looking at, at this point in time, we know that probably 30% of patients will be eligible, but it will be much higher. And this is where it gets quite complicated. At the moment, we're only looking at motor responses to stroke. And it's really hard to mimic in an animal model the, the small vessel occlusion stroke that results in aphasia. And aphasia obviously means uh, inability to process or speak words. So problem with language, and it's very common. It affects about 30 to 50% of people after stroke. And hard to mimic that in a rat because rats don't speak. However, we know that clinical trials overseas who've used epidural stimulation to treat aphasia have had great success. There's been six phase two clinical trials um, and they've undergone a rigor, rigor, rigorous meta-analysis to show that electrical stimulation is a very promising treatment for aphasia. So if we could also repurpose our device to not only treat motor loss but also look at language loss, then we could be increasing the number of people that would be eligible for use in this device. So we might be looking at 60%. So how do you study aphasia in an animal that can't actually talk? Yeah, and it's, it's impossible. It is really impossible. But, but what you can do is you can take the principles associated with uh, electrical stimulation for motor control and you can then apply them to people. Mm -hmm. So you take your device through clinical trial with motor function as your primary outcome measure and you show that it's safe, feasible and that it works. And then what you do is then you repurpose the device for application in people. So it's where you've got the animal model and the human condition running in parallel for motor function, and then you just take it that one step next into people. So really, if we can prove uh, the use of our device for improving motor control, then we shouldn't necessarily need to have an animal model to mimic aphasia, we should just be able to then take it in to test whether it works in aphasia, provided that we can show that the intervention does no harm. Wow, so sounds like there's a lot of possibilities with this implant. I just want to know, what's your hope for the future with this implant? So my five-year plan is to be standing at bedside and watching our implant being used for the very first time to help someone recover from stroke. So if all goes to plan, we'll go through the development stage. We have a manufacturing partner, provided we can get proof of principle from safety in a phase one, then the, with it, we're looking at five years to treatment. And if anyone says to me, what's your five year career plan? Well, it's actually not about me. 
It is about standing bedside, bed bedside, and watching the hard work come to fruition. And I'd just like to mention your exciting news that together with your collaborators, Chris Williams and Matt Pito at the Bionics Institute, you have new funding for this project through the Percy Baxter Foundation. Mm. Great. Thank you, Carly, for talking with me today. You're welcome. Fantastic. Thanks for joining our conversation with Dr. Carly Ralston. Today, we learned about how Carly's exciting collaboration with Chris Williams from the Bionics Institute will develop a small bionic implant to enhance functional recovery after stroke. I'm your host, Tessa Marshall. To hear more about Carly's work and about other stroke research at the Flory, check out our other episodes of the podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Flory Stroke.